You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. You can't save us. We don't wanna be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white savior films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. And I'm the other one, Cameron Mason. And we got we got one of those ones that I think a lot of people probably were wondering if we we're going to talk about it. And uh, Very anticipated. A lot of people were probably because it's it's not just. I have to say at this point, probably near the top of the Oscar everything pile right like all of the buzz and got is it still the longest standing ovation at at con as of now yeah um <laughs> so yeah we're talking about killers of the flower moon the new martin scorsese film uh which does delve into the osage murders uh back in the 1920s and also stars leonardo DiCaprio, stars robert nero stars lily gladstone and is is the movie of the season uh thus far it is also a three and a half hour film which has a lot of people talking it's also a two hundred million dollar snoring film. yeah uh so there's a lot no, to no, discuss no, um, yeah <laughs> cameron do you want to introduce <laughs> our wonderful guest for this episode yeah yeah today today's guest a uh, good friend of mine worked with him for a long time long time uh black indigenous playwright, actor, multi-hyphenate. I caught them at the Woolly Mammoth this past winter. Uh, they out here, they out here. Uh, good friend, Kylie Y. Turner. Hey y'all, hey y'all, hey. <laughs> what up, what up, what up? It's good to see you. Good to see you too, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. And I, I like as soon, as soon as it was this movie that we were covering this week, I was like, there's like only like really one person <laughs> that I feel like I should talk to in this conversation and who's definitely going to give good conversation for this movie particularly. So, yeah, let's get right into it. I mean, yeah, you told one. me your your text specifically said I got thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, mm, I was like, mm, I have some thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> well, let's um, let's let's get a lot of the particulars out of the way uh, yes. because it's it's a it's a lot it's a long movie so, let's, 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 let's <laughs> so we won't waste your time so killers of the flower moon it just came out came out about two weeks ago um mm -hmm. directed by martin scorsese written by martin scorsese and eric roth who you may know from such movies as forrest gump the insider munich curious case of benjamin button star is born on and on um it stars leonardo DiCaprio, robert de niro lily gladstone and is a movie that we'll we'll talk a little bit about the production of it because it, it is interesting in, in certain respects but it, it was originally a book uh of the same name a longer name because uh, yes. it was um <laughs> close of the flower moon the osage Murders on the birth of the fbi uh by david gran and that is a non-fiction book that basically delves into the real history of uh, the murders that happened in the Osage County, but also more or less the birth of the FBI. Uh, Jagger Hoover out here doing Hoover things, and uh, just the devil's work. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it there's a there's a lot to discuss, and I think the best way to do I'm just going to get through these five minutes 
pretty quickly uh, because I, I just want to hit the broad strokes of it. So people have, if they haven't seen the movie yet, again, three and a half hours, I don't blame anybody. If they're just like, this is going to be on Apple Plus in a month, like, let me just stay home and I'll catch it then. Uh, so if you're if you're not interested in the spoilers of the movie, I would say hold off until you see the Wait. movie. But right. if, you, if you have already seen the movie or just like this is, wasn't the movie I was going to see. anyways, I just want to hear what y'all are going to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> then I will I will get into these five minutes here. Maybe not. All five right. minutes. We'll see. But <laughs> so let's see. Let's see. You said you had a new game plan. I'm, I'm excited. Very brief. Yes. Uh, so the movie starts out with a number of the Osage elders burying a pipe ceremony, basically mourning what's about to happen, which is more or less the assimilation of their culture into uh, the white American mainstream as more and more white people are moving to Oklahoma. The Osage have been moved around a couple of times and they've settled on what has been described as basically the worst land possible, except there's oil in that land and it, it, automatically makes them the movie says and i've seen it a couple different places the richest people per capita at the time in the 1920s uh the roaring 20s i mean that says a lot in terms of like the kind of money they were getting because they owned the land they had all this oil but what had happened was that still (laughs) under white supremacy uh they they weren't entitled to just get the money right and so they needed sponsors they needed people to kind of oversee and so they are rich but there's still a lot of white people are coming to uh you know get the oil out there's still a lot of white people around the town who are basically in charge of their money and kind of tell them do you really need that much for me (laughs) or things like that I, i don't know like you justify this to me right and so we meet Leonardo DiCaprio, who is playing um, Ernest Burkhart, and he's coming back from World War One. He was a chef. Uh, he's he's kind of really doesn't have a lot going for him at the moment, uh, but he does have an uncle, William King Hale, played by Robert De Niro, who is super rich rancher and also has, as we'll learn later, in a more sinister way, endeared himself to the Osage people. He's basically like the white liaison to the Osage. Uh, he speaks Osage fluently. He's like showing it up at all the, the functions and things like that. Everybody loves him. Um, <laughs> but what what is going on in this town specifically, and I'm sure this was not just, you know, something happening here in particular, but white people have gotten the idea, okay. So if we marry into these Osage families and we're able to basically figure out how we can get closer to the head rights. And that basically means murdering uh, any and all people in their way. You know, that's, that's kind of the plan, right? So you have a lot of white people who are married into the Osage families. You have a lot of white people who are doing things uh, like taking out life insurance policies on Osage people, and you know more or less it's it's kind of this insidious plot from uh, more i have to imagine almost every white person uh in the movie to get into a position where they are now next in line for the money uh of all the osage people so in the beginning you know leonardo dicaprio is pretty much just here to do whatever you know he doesn't really seem to be the smartest person 
and doesn't really seem to have much ambition, but his uncle was asking him, Hey, you know, do you like women? Hey, do you like money? Hey, do you like, you know, yada, yada, yada. And kind of trying to steer him in the direction of Molly Brown, who is played by Lily Gladstone. And she is one of many, you know, wealthy, uh, but single um, Osage woman in the County. And she's at first not really interested in Ernest. He's a, he's not that charming uh and kind of seems to be very you know out of his depth but persistence i guess is key and you know we see this conversation between molly and her sisters where you know they're like you know he's a coyote he only wants you for your money and she's like yeah but everybody wants for my money like i'm rich like that's gonna be part of how it goes and so Ultimately, Ernest ends up driving her around, you know, becoming her her cab driver, and they strike up a relationship. And, you know, a few months into that, he asked her to marry him. Little unknown to her, though, more or less at the behest of, of William King Hale, right? Like he's kind of steering this relationship, operating from the shadows. And so, you know, they get married and everything seems like it's going well, except right off the bat, right after they get married, we see that. Uh, Ernest is uh, actually more or less a terrible person. Like he's going around robbing Osage people at night, spending most of Molly's money on schemes that aren't really going anywhere. So this is where Hale's plan kind of kicks into the next gear because uh, Molly, whose family consists of uh, her, her sister uh, Minnie, her mother Lizzie, and her sister Anna, um, are you know, there's there's a couple of different things going on. And, and Molly herself has kind of mentioned a number of murders that have happened, uh, you know, just before Ernest gets to town where, you know, a couple of Osage people have died. Nobody really cares because who cares, right, when Native people are dying in the 1920s? Like, it's just a thing that's been happening in America for decades. It doesn't really raise a lot of eyebrows. But all of these deaths kind of have mysterious parts to them and they are more or less murders uh so it is concerning for a lot of the osage but there's also you know lots of different diseases that are going around molly herself has diabetes um her sister and her mother have what is known as the wasting disease you know they're kind of very sick and one by one uh hail and you know other people begin to pick them off so first her sister minnie dies uh of the wasting disease and that's kind of just like a, a a natural segue for Hale and Burkhart to kind of get into it because then their next target is Anna who is this very um you know outspoken take no shit you know carrying a gun kind of woman and you know King Hale is kind of like hey nobody would really miss her if she was to die and so Ernest uh kind of you know, concocts this this plan along with his brother Byron to kill Anna. And so Anna gets killed. She gets taken out and shot. And, you know, again, this is very upsetting to Molly. A lot of the Osage are becoming more and more worried about what's happening. They hire, you know, somebody to go and speak on their behalf in Washington, D.C. That person ends up getting killed. <laughs> Molly ends up hiring a uh a private detective to come in and kind of poke around and see what they can find. That person ends up getting killed. You know, in in all of this, uh, her mother Lizzie dies. You know, she passes away. 
uh, from the wasting disease as well. And so, you know, Molly is becoming more and more paranoid of everything that's happening. It's really just her and Ernest. Um, they have a child, you know, in the midst of all of this. So now she's even more, you know, paranoid and worried about, you know, who's on her side, who may be coming to get her. Ernest is able to get her you know, the the earliest version of penicillin, you know, King Hale offers it as a gift, but she doesn't trust the doctors. You know, she kind of feels like somebody's trying to to get her to poison her. So she insists that Ernest is going to be the one that's going to inject her with the medicine. King Hale is kind of like, oh, great, perfect opportunity for us to kind of start slipping some stuff into that medicine to make her more and more sick. You know, Ernest is kind of like, well, what is this? And they're just like, hey, this is just something that's going to slow her down a little bit, right? You know, because she's asking a lot of questions and they don't really want her poking around in the stuff. And so after that, um, you know, she moves, they all move into a different house. Um, and uh Um, so after that, you know, it, it starts to get more and more bleak for Molly. She's only got one family member left who is, uh, Rita, her sister, and they've all moved kind of, you know, further into town and kind of this, you know, segregated area, segregated in the sense that it's, it's basically just all Osage, you know, who are living in this area, trying to look out for each other. But of course, you know, right, <laughs> right in the midst of all this is the coyote is earnest. And uh, Hale orders him to, you know, arrange a bombing of Rita's house, you know, killing the last sister and basically isolating Molly entirely. And so, you know, after the bombing, Molly figures out, you know, she's got to do what she's got to do. So she goes to Washington, D.C. herself and, you know, basically begs Calvin Coolidge to do something about all these murders. And they send out the FBI or what is the the earliest version of the FBI and so these federal agents come to the Osage County and they start asking questions they're asking Ernest questions uh they're asking King Hale questions they're asking a few other people some questions and you know similar to the January 6 uh conspirators these people are not that smart or they're not as smart as they think they are because you know the federal agents basically have figured them out more or less very quickly within being in the town. And so they start to organize and round up a lot of the suspects, including, you know, this guy named Blackie, who they've been, you know, sending around to do some stuff. Um, King Hale tries to clean up some loose ends and, and murder some people and, you know, get some people off the board. But ostensibly, they're able to kind of get a lot of the people that helps commit the murders to turn and flip on Ernest and King Hale. And so Hale gets arrested, Ernest gets arrested, they're both in jail. And Ernest is kind of like, hey, you know, these federal agents are offering me a deal. They're offering me a chance to get out and, you know, be with my family, be with Molly, be with our kids, you know, so I'm going to take this deal. Like, I'm not going to go down for all this, you know, with you. And King Hale is like, no, you're not. You know what I mean? You're not going to do any of that. You think you are, but you're not smart enough. Um, so, you know, you can you can play at whatever you think you're playing at, but, you know, you're, you're going to do what I want in the end. And so when Ernest finally comes to testify against King Hale, his lawyer played by Brendan Fraser, who is, you know, doing doing a lot, uh, stands up and is like, hey, 
that's my client. You know, these federal agents have been keeping them from me. He's going to testify for uh, William Hale, you know, not against him. You know, I just need to speak to him. I need to have a conversation with him. And he basically says, hey, you haven't really thought about this, Ernest. You don't really know what's going to happen if you testify against your uncle. All the horrible things that are going to happen to him to happen to you, happen to your family, you know. And so Ernest starts having a change of heart. Um, in the midst of all this, you know, Molly has started to recover from the poisoning, but also, you know, their daughter dies, uh, you know, just from uh, an illness herself. And so, you know, Ernest is really appears to be broken up. And then you have, um, you know, King Hale, who seems to be feeling pretty great, like he's got everything working for him. Ernest decides to not, you know, tell on his uncle, he's telling Molly, hey, you know, it's going to be me doing the right thing. And the right thing is to stand with my uncle, you know. And so when he gets to court, you know, he's kind of looking around and unsure of what he's really going to do. Right. And, you know, considering his, his daughter's death and everything that's happened and all the things that he's done, he decides at the last minute to testify against his uncle, um, John Lithgow, the lawyer, you know, does a great job cross-examining him and, and basically gets him to confess to everything. Right. Except for one thing, which is the thing that Molly needs to know after the trial, when she comes to ask him, you know, okay, you admitted to killing my sister. You admitted to doing all these other horrible things that I didn't know about. Can you, after all that, at least tell me one true thing? Like, was that penicillin you were giving me? Was there something else in it? And Ernest looks at her and kind of half answers the question and, and really is just like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, Molly walks out on him. And then, uh, you know, in, in what is sure to be one of the most controversial moments of the movie, hard cut to a radio play that's happening a couple years after all of these events happen. It is, you know, your, your traditional radio play with all the different, like, you know, people hitting washboards and, you know, making all the noises and whatnot. And it plays out and kind of gives us the last, you know, updates on all of the people in the story, what happened to Hale, what happened to Ernest. You know, Hale goes to jail for almost, you know, the rest of his life. He's already very old, uh, but eventually gets out, goes back to the Osage, you know, county and and tries to ingratiate himself back in with the people. Some people accept him. Most people don't. Um, you know, he eventually dies there. Ernest tries to go back, but also leaves, you know, after going to jail for a while. He and Molly, you know, aren't together anymore. Molly eventually dies. And after her death, you know, like she has no mention of the, uh, you know, murders in her obituary, you know, she's trying to distance herself from it. And, you know, all this information about Molly is delivered to us by none other than Martin Scorsese, uh, who steps himself into the movie to tell us about, you know, the, the last days of Molly. And we end with this kind of ceremonial powwow, you know, from the Osage people kind of putting a cap to the you know, entire events of everything that we've seen. Uh, and that is the briefest version I can give of Killers of the Flower Moon. So, of course, we got to play. And uh, what I like to do to start things off, because I think it, it kind of really sums up the way that, you know, people are feeling one way or the other about this movie is uh, there is a clip uh, from the Osage language consultant for the movie, Christopher Coates, who 
basically, you know, even though he worked on the movie and you know, was closely involved with, you know, again, the language of the movie, um, had some some interesting and pointing comments to say, you know, at the red carpet premiere about not just, you know, the film itself, but I think a lot of what Osage people are feeling about the film. So let's listen to that. I was nervous about the release of the film. Now that I've seen it, uh, I have some strong opinions. As, as an Osage, I really wanted this to be from the perspective of Molly and what her family experienced. But I think it would take an Osage to do that. Um, Martin Scorsese not being Osage, I think he did a great job representing our people. But this story is being told, this history is being told almost from, from the perspective of um, Ernest Burkhart. And they kind of give him this conscience and they kind of depict that there's love. But when somebody conspires to murder your entire family, uh, that's not love. That's not love. That's, that's, just, beyond, that's just beyond abuse. And um, I think in the end, the question that you can be left with is how long will you be complacent with racism? How long will you go along with something and not say something, not speak up? How long will you be complacent? And I think that's because this film was not made for an Osage audience. It was made for everybody not Osage. Uh, for those that have been disenfranchised, they can relate. But for other countries, you know, that have their acts and their histories of oppression, um, this is an opportunity for them to ask themselves this question of morality. And so that's, that's how I feel. That's my, that's how I feel about this film. Yeah. I, I, I'm what I, what I'm bumping up against, I think is the love is the convincing of a love story, but I see, here's the thing. He's right. Cause it's not love. These aren't acts of love at all. I just see this as like, clumsy evil yeah. like and i think the movie would probably benefit from it being described as this like exper not experiment but like this documentation of what humanity actually looks like right what actually being human looks like and i'm not saying it's like being like hum human to each other like humanity is like the good parts because it, it obviously is the horrible parts too you know, th these mm -hmm. cons these murders to the indigenous people to this land in order for Americans to take that land, right? We're, we're just talking about it plain and straight. I don't know if I need a love story in order for me to like connect to that story because I know it's the story of America. Just tell me the truth. I'm a big boy, right? <laughs> oh, well, we're, we're adults here. But... Even though that, but that's like the whole thing, right? Is like America's like, job in this is to like keep all that on the hush hush <laughs> well i was going to say i would i would argue though that that is that is the one of the key strategies of white supremacy yeah is, is to not educate and to basically make it to obfuscate so <laughs> that <laughs> but but specifically right like because this is this is part of what's happening now when we talk about what people are learning in schools Mm -hmm. is that you know white people will say oh but i don't want my kid to learn about it because he's gonna feel bad you know and then like you know should he bear the weight of some you know all this and it's like 
but isn't it easier to learn about certain things? And again, to be clear, these people are crazy and they're saying crazy <laughs> things because no, are you going to, are you going to, I, cause I teach preschool, right? So like, mm -hmm. am, am I going to tell a three-year-old about this in terms of like, so here's all the graphic murders that happened, you know, right. so, no, you're going to, you're going to couch it in ways that, you know, they can kind of take in. Because again, when you talk to kids and you explain things to them very plainly, they're very, I mean, cause you know, they're not sullied by all of the life experiences that we have. They'll say, Oh, that's bad. Kids. know, Yes. You know what I mean? like <laughs> that, they, they implicitly they're like, Oh, this is bad. That was inherently. Yes. Yeah. But it's not even, but it's honestly not even about that. Cause they know right. that. You know what I yeah, mean? Right. You know that this has been a plan. Like this started with the tea party. You know what right. I mean? They, they had these plans. Mitch McConnell had this plan long before he was even elected. This was his plan was to yeah. like, you know, get all the lower circuit judges to, you know, because with them kind of repoing the education system, they can kind of use that as a way to exactly rewrite history. And, mm -hmm. and it's crazy because like in Germany, for instance, they are taught about the Holocaust starting from kindergarten. You know right. what I mean? They don't have monuments to Nazi soldiers and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And and they did they did that purposefully so that they wouldn't have another event of like an Adolf Hitler. You know what yeah. I mean? So that they would educate the masses. And that's what America fails to do because America wants to, America doesn't want to dig up its its dirt and its skeletons and stuff. It wants to just lay like a, a you know, a, a mask or a tarp over everything and right, just yeah. pretend like it never happened and look we're all friends even though we're really not because we yeah. just try to stop the government but like <laughs> you know what I mean? like well no, that's real shit that's the thing too because like listening to scorsese and de niro and dicaprio talk about this movie you know there was there was some parts of me that i was kind of like i you know i'm hope i'm i hope i'm misinterpreting the way that you were discussing these things because you know they mm. were they were talking about Tulsa and specifically because it was you know around the hundredth year anniversary and they were filming maybe like you know twenty or so miles away uh you know in the Osage County and so like they were like oh like you know we're all just learning about these things now you know in in American history and it's like well you you are you are <laughs> just learning about this now you Martin Scorsese you Leonardo DiCaprio we it's, have the privilege to not know to not know Leonardo DiCaprio is how old almost 50 now and like still being like I I can't believe that I'm learning America is a crazy place to live in. and I'm like dog you know yeah. that you literally played a slave owner bro you yeah. like did you do your research because like if you did <laughs> Samuel <laughs> Jackson wouldn't have to sun you on set and be like yeah say that shit <laughs> with your chest but that's the thing though is I feel like when we when we talk about you know Tulsa and again Tulsa being you know uh, one of the most dramatic moments but like that was not an uncommon thing to happen you know Tulsa is mean? one of many events. Tulsa is just like the one we remember and the one we teach I mean, because it was so tragic. But honestly, the move, Philadelphia move was in the 80s. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, and that's like, the thing. I feel like with this as well, like this might be one of the more high profile cases of, you know, indigenous people being murdered. But like that's ostensibly the history of this country. And, you know, when you think about events like this, I'm sure this was just one of many things happening, because like you were saying, Kylie, like, OK, some Native people are being killed. 
cool. You know, like we're not, this isn't, this isn't an emergency. This is something that we right. need to go and investigate right away. This is like, you know, as long as it's not a, a, a generally larger problem, then like we kind of don't care, you know? Uh, and like, if we can profit off of it even better. So I think that's the thing. It's like this movie has, I, I don't want to say, because I, 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 again, I agree with what you're saying, Kylie, in terms of like the power of art and like having people like reckon with things and face things. But I think part of that requires them to want to do that. You know what I mean? And like, if, if they're not engaged or interested in, in not even learning more about, you know, native history and culture, but even just like say, oh, yeah, you know, damn. Yeah, that we, we <laughs> kind of fucked that up. Because even when you think about Tulsa, right? Um, I don't know how old she is, but there is still that, that woman who was one of the few surviving uh, citizens of Greenwood who's he, she's still trying to get reparations to this day, right. like going to the Supreme court and Congress trying to make that happen. Right. And like, I would have to imagine again for the Osage people, part of this is like, Hey, it's great that you're learning about this. And it's great that the story is reaching a wider audience at the same time though, not like, Hey, what are you going to do about it? You know, but more so, yeah. like, but, but, and then what though, you know, like, and then land back because yeah. I think, what, and then land back. And well, that, but I feel like what, what, what seems to happen and what I was thinking about, you know, before we hopped on here is how, and I don't think Scorsese, I don't think Scorsese had the intent and the, and the understanding to know this, you know what I mean? But I think what this movie does show is that throughout history, white people have learned how to just kind of adapt to whatever the new norm is to continue to perpetrate whatever atrocities they want to perpetrate right because like uh, like if they found oil on native land like in the 1800s they would have just killed all those people and like took, you know, i mean they would yeah. it, you know nothing now it's like okay well we can't do that anymore so what's a more subtle way of us kind of leading and like even today it's like oh well we, we can't call you niggers anymore but like you know, we'll figure out other language and terminology so you so you know what we mean when we say that. Or we, right. you know, like we have to make, you know, say like you know Latin people like look a certain way or or Muslim people look a certain way so that when we say hey these people can't come into our country anymore, you know, like you, but you agree with it because look at all these <laughs> examples we just gave you, right? Like there's there's all these ways that they kind of perpetrate this stuff, and I think you know I don't think Scorsese was like because they they talk about the banality of evil that's kind of like de niro's like big line about the movie yeah that's what they're going on the press tour with yeah like how it's like oh yeah like look at look at this thing that you know it, from the outside looking in you would have never guessed what horrible atrocities were being committed here but indigenous people know black people know like you know what i mean like we 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 can tell we because i think that's part of what makes lily gladstone's performance so good is is similar i don't i don't think anybody else is going to make comparisons between abbott elementary <laughs> and this movie but those knowing glances she has where you can see somebody says something and she doesn't look at them directly but she kind of gives a look almost to camera as if to say these white people right you know, am i right i think that's the beauty of her performance and that's all, yeah i i but i think that's I, I, 
people of color pick up on that. I don't know right. how many white people picked up on some of those moments where like she wasn't saying anything and she may have just been looking around, but like she was saying a lot with the silence and just like the general glances. I mean, I feel like they mentioned that early of her character, like that she's or that the people in general are silent, but right. like observant. And f- from then on, I don't know if I'm s- subconsciously paying attention to her now as a result of it, that being said in the movie. But like anytime she's on screen, anytime she's on screen, is, is she talking or not? I'm paying attention to her reactions. It, it's almost like my mind inherently wants to know what she feels about how these people around the Osage, not the Osage themselves, but how the people themselves are ingratiating themselves in the community like she sees that like like that first that meet cute scene when uh leo meets her and like starts driving her around she's listening to like the the flirting and stuff like that but she's also like you're not she's on him she's on to him from the start it's almost like she's she's watching his she's watching his moves but there's like a I don't know. I don't want to call it like, you know, self-immolation of like this nigga ain't shit, but I, I will go with him anyway. Like, that's what I felt in that scene where he's driving her around and saying, you know, must be Osage for handsome devil. Cause I don't know what you're saying, but it must mean I'm cute. Like, I, I see that. I don't see that as like adorable. I see that as like, I think you should watch a step before <laughs> we enter this situation. I feel like it's also a little bit of kind of like wearing down, you know? Yeah. Like now I'm your driver. I've I've fashioned myself into being your driver. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm I'm learning you without you knowing that I'm actively trying to learn you because my uncle has planted this seed in my head. Yeah. Right. So now it's not really like this is an authentic getting to know. This is this is, you know, something that you're cultivating. I've been yeah. planted. Or yeah. he's been he's been planted. Exactly. To try to, you know, to get in there by any means necessary, you know, so he's just, he's just going to do whatever it, it, you know, it's like a piece of shit ass nigga that's going to do whatever. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? He's going to do what to do to get in there. And, and I feel like for her as watching it, it's like, I know he's, she knows he's a coyote, you know what I mean? But But I think at some point it's probably a little bit of the wearing down. I think it's a little bit of the loneliness, mm-hmm. right? She's taking care of her mom. Her mom is sickly. You know, you know, her, Anna, Anna's a firecracker. She's out there. She's getting hers. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Millie's already married. You know, uh, this is way back in the day. No internet, ain't no tender. So it's like, these are, these are the pics that I have. And right. hey, he's new and he's cute for a white boy. <laughs> a gut shot white boy. You know, because they've now because they've now assimilated. Mm-hmm. So all of the all of them want my money now, probably whether they're red, mm. black, purple. You know what I mean? Like no. they've now assimilated fully, so they don't even. You know, it's not the culture, it's not the tradition that they came up on. This is a whole new. You know, so I have to probably pick between like what I have. You know, yeah. and and it's probably a little bit of oh, I feel like I've gotten it. You know, I I know him. I know him as much as I need to know him. He's a mediocre white boy. He's he's kind of dumb. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he wants my money, but yeah, like you said earlier, you know, like this is. I think it was more kind of a convenience. Yeah, well, and it seems like, um, 
we could talk about this briefly, but uh, there's there's certainly I want to get to Anna and I want to get mm. to some of the other native characters. But like there seemed to be because I want to say his name was Billy. Right. Uh, the, the, the man who was married to Millie. Bill uh, Smith. Yeah. Bill Smith, who had married. They kind of went through. He had married multiple other indigenous women who happened Before to die. He, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Before and, he ended up with Millie. and then he ended up with Millie. Uh, but like that seemed to be kind of like nobody was really questioning things, right? Like, you know, these white men obviously because we even see, you know, there's a scene where, you know, this this white man is trying to sell these Osage people a car and he's really just like so it like I have to do this, you know what I mean? Because these mm. there's a there's a class system that's happening here that the movie doesn't necessarily explore too much, but it's like white people have the power in a sense and then they don't in another sense right and so like you know millie is kind of coming at or um molly is kind of coming at it from this weird perspective of like on the one hand i have to go every once in a while to this white man and, and claim that i'm incompetent you know and state what mm -hmm. i want my money for <laughs> right but on the other hand you know i am i am desired right by a lot of people because i have the money and i have some semblance of power and i think that was kind of what was throwing me off a little bit is like Ernest is like there's there's a hundred Ernests in this town i imagine you know what i mean like there's nothing specific about Ernest that i would say oh well you know i can see why she fell for him because like how many and not even how many other white men were driving cabs around town <laughs> like just generally anywhere she went i'm sure she was being propositioned in one way or another by some guy who just got to town, some guy who was kind of like, my last wife died and I didn't get the head right. So now I'm moving on to you. And, you know, like, or, like she said, Ernest wasn't the most attractive man. Ernest yeah. wasn't. She I'm says it. Yeah. Man, you know they, were, I mean? they were killing off the men, too. So it's like, yeah. you know, she probably had some slim pickings, you know, just like just like Hale being like, oh, see that guy over there when he set Henry up like, oh, you know, she used to be married to Henry. Back right, then. right. You right. Know, they're killing off the, the men, too, just so that yeah. they can get in there and marry them yeah well let's let's talk let's talk about anna because i found her to be not only just a fascinating character mm -hmm. but also you know there's there's some quotes i want to read uh just in a bit here from from devery jacobs of um reservation dogs that i think it's it's interesting to kind of consider because like a lot of indigenous women die in this movie right like that's a lot of repeated theme throughout and like she dies one of the more graphic deaths but also the way that she's depicted in the film is being not even just like for an indigenous woman you know being very not of the times but just in women in general you know what i mean like she was not taking shit off anyone she carried a gun you know she and was, popping it off <laughs> she was out drinking she was and she was like outspoken too outspoken but also like i i she's i wouldn't even necessarily go as far to say she's the antithesis of molly but she is very much so like yeah i know i know men want me for my money for my body for all these other things but i'm i'm in control and so i say when this happens i i'm gonna be the one that called the shots and like we even get this glimpse of her with her mother and her mother is very you know 
you're my favorite. You're my favorite. Like I'm not even trying to hide it. So you I love up. that. I thought that was you're, hilarious. You're, you're my favorite daughter of of all of them, and you know her her death in the movie, um, you know from a narrative standpoint and also just from like a, a a relationship standpoint within the family is kind of like the that's that's the domino piece that kind of like sets everything off in motion because. You know, the first sister dies of an illness and that's kind of it's the wasting disease. And that seems to be like, again, unfortunately, kind of just like, yeah, that's what happens. You know, De Niro's like most of those days don't live past 50, you know, like they're just mm-hmm. going to they're his his reasoning is all these people are going to die anyway. So the money just go into the grave with them. Why shouldn't we get some of the money, you know? And so, you know, in a lot of these ways, even even Bill, you know, who marries Millie, it's kind of like who can we don't really get a a clear idea of like well did all those women just die of quote-unquote natural causes or like were they murdered or like what was going on um but anna is a very much so like that's the first one right like that's the one where they're like we need to kill her you know what i mean and like we need to make it we can we can we can make her go away in a way that nobody's going to question because she is a very outspoken, loud, indigenous woman who, the, the quiet part loud, nobody's really going to miss her, right, when she's dead, right? Nobody's going to be upset that Anna is dead. They're going to be like, well, what did you expect? She's going around waving a gun. Somebody's going to shoot her, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the glimpses we get of of Anna and Molly's relationship, which I would have liked more of, and the, the glimpses we get of Anna just generally, you know, and I, I'm curious to know what you guys thought of her as a character. And like, we get her death, we get her full death in a flashback. Like we get, but there's yeah. multiple graphic instances of them like cutting her open and like yeah. all those other things that happen. So like, do I'm I'm assuming because you know Scorsese doesn't really do anything by accident that there is right. intent to not only just showing her death but showing her quote-unquote autopsy to showing you know kind of you know the way that she was kind of basically thrown away kind of like manhandled and thrown away yeah yeah um so what were your thoughts about uh, her character and kind of just her treatment in the film i mean i definitely thinking about the times there were a few times where i watched the the movie and i was like oh i wonder if this is historically accurate you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Especially, and then even when they were, you know, like, you know, like with the bitch word being thrown around, um, like there were definitely some times where I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, who's to say that, you know, she Anna couldn't have been like a flapper during that time. I mean, maybe I haven't done enough research. I'm not a dramaturg mm-hmm. to like, you know what I mean? To really like speak to the authenticity of like that type of character at that time. I mean, I, I, I did think it was interesting for this to be this indigenous woman, to be this to have so much voice, you yeah. know, to be so much on her voice and at this day and age, you know, at that time, 1920, you know what I mean? Um, is it impossible? I guess not. You know, it, it kind of makes me, because we don't know what we don't know. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So it makes me think of like, I used to do these reenactments um, in Boston of the 54th Regiment, which was like the only unit that fought or not really fought, but, you know, black unit that was sent down um, from Boston, from Massachusetts to the Civil War. And I remember doing it one year and my grand, and you know, I was dressed up and my grandmother 
who, you know, is from, from the deep South, you know, and she passed away three years ago at like 90 something. So she's been mm. around for quite some time. And I remember her saying to my dad, she wouldn't have been dressed like that because in her eyes, I was dressed way too nice to mm. be, you know, a free black person at that time. And you my dad- been wearing like rags. Yeah, exactly. And so my dad, but my dad had to tell her, yeah, but you have to remember this was Massachusetts. This wasn't Florida. Yeah. Mm. At that time. So it's, you know, so I can't, from the North, I can't say, you know, what the, you know, authenticity of that type of character in the South at that time. I mean, it wasn't New Orleans, so I don't know. You know yeah, right, right. Um, but, you know, I mean, it was interesting. It was something that I was like, oh, you know, I did, I did just clock it. Um, I loved that she was boisterous, though. I loved that she had a voice. I loved that she cared. I, I loved that she carried a gun in her purse, <laughs> like, F-A-F-O. You know what I mean? I was pissed when Ernest took the gun. As soon as he took the gun from her, I knew yeah. she was about to pop off and I knew she wasn't going to be able to protect herself. And it was a setup. You know what I mean? Like, um, it also made me think of, again, murdered and missing indigenous women, the way that mm -hmm. they did it graphically. Oh, my um, God. And the movie makes sure you know it. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely would hope that that was the intention of that, as opposed to just, you know, like graphic native uh you know evil death porn on uh mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. on this um it also but it also kind of made me just you know as far as like you know macro and a little bit being all over the place but it also kind of makes me think of you know like uh remains in museums mm. Like indigenous remains that are still in museums, like right now, that have not been returned. You know what I mean? Just like the, mm -hmm. ta the taking of indigenous bodies, yeah. With no, you know, with no consideration that you know, just taking. <laughs> well, I, we, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. No, is that symbolic oh. in that sense? Sorry, no, that wasn't just like <laughs> I agree. Good job. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I worked hard uh, on that answer. Worked hard on that perspective. I could tell. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I like I, I see it as symbolic of that a little bit because Scorsese has this thing of like his. I feel like his female characters aren't just like window dressing like they are in a lot of movies. Not necessarily that they're doing like standout things are good things you know like a lot of his women are multifaceted and anna's like no no different in that sense um and i think it i don't know i mean it's true it happened um but i think her death does symbolize like the silencing of like a a loud boisterous woman or a woman of her own agency like that is definitely, especially the way it's like, I think it's kind of like the halfway point of the movie. Mm -hmm. it, it, it feels like the big, like you said earlier, that it's like the, the crux of like a lot of the forward motion of the latter half of the movie. But the way that like she's handled, especially like, I mean, sorry for the graphicness, but like when they pick up her body, like you can, the, the back half of her brain spills out and it's just like, very, very much so like a moment that's supposed to jar you and shake you a little bit. But if you're doing that, then what are you saying about it? And I feel like it, this is like, this was the one. 
we had to make sure she was there was a message shown yeah that we, we we mishandled this whole thing and especially with her well and even in her death because you know we see her body first right like we see the body first Molly has to go identify her and then we, we get the we, flashback right well it, in the moment when we see her body they are actively like cutting her up you know yeah. because as we learn later the doctors were trying to cover you know because they were like oh we were just looking for the bullet and the fbi was like but where because you you cut her you cut all body over up, you know and they were just like oh we're, we, we're just trying to be thorough you know just trying to make sure that we find it we didn't find it by the way that's such a gross scene by the way like i uh, wanted to jump i actually was like i wanted to jump yeah. through the screen and just like molly whop these motherfuckers because like the way they're making up the lies and the fbi is just like kind of shrug okaying the whole conversation is just like yeah. the complacency is so nasty and gross mm-hmm. and easy yeah for them and easy for them like it could just be like this white man is lying to me but i am also a white man and <laughs> i don't want to really send him to jail that's like right. a whole bunch of paperwork you can see it in his eyes that he's just like ah god damn it all right fine <laughs> yeah but i think anna anna also was again a microcosm of a lot of how the the town in general felt about just indigenous people indigenous women specifically because they were, nobody really seemed upset besides molly you know what i mean like right earnest I, you know i i have to question things only from the standpoint of like he's a terrible actor right like he Oof. is not it's not like he's gleefully like another one, you know, like we got him. Yeah. Kind of like your wife's sister, your sister in law was not just, mur- but like murdered. Murdered. You know that's what I mean? Like that's fucking a- crazy. Upsetting. You know, that shouldn't be a thing that you're just like, hey, I guess these things happen around here. It's like, can't but, win them all. You know, right. Um, the fuck out of here. And it's even more heartbreaking because, again, like you see her almost accepting of the fate because they take her out and she's just like you're gonna shoot me aren't you and they're she like, says oh, it no, oh no, yeah no. yeah why would we do that let's shoot her right now you know what I mean? as they're literally like lining up the shot it's yeah ugh. you know but i mean even in that you know you see her kind of like almost this like this is always inevitably how it was going to end for me was some white man was going to shoot me in the head because I, you know, I wasn't going to be quiet about any of this. You know, I was going to be loud until the end. Uh, and so for Molly, we will play this. Um, Definitely concerns me a little bit. You know what I mean? But, you know, I, I packed that thing, too. So you come around this way, you will get caught. You know, because that's that's how <laughs> she lived. Um, there, There's another character I want to talk about that I found very interesting. Uh, and that was Henry, Henry Roan, who was... Hmm. He, I, I found him to be um, indicative of, of something I think when we talk about, and we'll get to the reimagining in just a second here, of what was left unsaid about so much of what was going on because mm. Henry is basically almost a son to uh, Robert De Niro's character, right? Like the way that um, the relationship kind of plays out where you see William Hale kind of like he's he he sends him to go pick up Ernest, you know, when he first gets into town and, you know, he's kind of like handling a lot of his affairs and, you know, but he is clearly using it, right? He's got a life insurance policy out on him. 
Um, and when he dies, when he gets a murder, you know, he like William Hale's indignant about not being able to get the money for his dead body. You know yeah. what I mean? Because like, as he says, I think there's a there's a part where Henry has passed out after drinking in front of the fireplace. And he's like, that's, you know, like 20 million dollars lying right there, you know, on the ground. Like I, I put so much time and money into him. And so, you know, it, he's he's very much indicative of how William Hale, but also I'm sure a lot of other white people saw Osage people as just like th literal dollar signs. You know what I mean? If this was a they resented them. Yeah, if this was a Tex Avery cartoon. You know what I mean? Like dollar signs where they like lit up on his eyes. Yeah, and he looked over at him, or he would have like faded into a money bag or right. into a money bag. Yeah, like it, it, it. It's it's the resent, but also this like dual this parallel like conniving this parallel like plotting against them it's yeah well yeah because what i what i found fascinating is there's a there's a scene right after you know henry comes to the house for a second time and then you know we see it because you know a man is is sleeping with his wife and like all these other things are happening in his life and i believe what the relationship is on top of everything else is that Hale is his sponsor, I think. Um, and so, oh, you know, yeah, that's why he was familiar. That's why they were like familiar. Yeah. But he goes into the bank and he's like, I don't understand why I need a white man to tell me when I can and can't get my money. You know what I mean? And there's, there's a whole lot being said in that that I wish would have been explored further because, like, what is it like to live in a place where you are, again, per capita? some of the richest people on the planet, right? Like you have <laughs> crazy amounts of wealth. And yet, even still, not only are you subjected to to white supremacy and these white people get to come in and tell you how to live and what to do and do all the stuff with your money, but at the same time, you know what I mean? Like are, I don't, I don't even say subservient to you, but again, like they, they're coming, to, they're always coming to you. They need you. Right. You know what I mean? Like you are what makes everything around here work. And so like having all of the money and the power and yet still not having the money and the power because white people come in and say, not so fast. You know what I mean? Like this, I... not today. And <laughs> like, that's a whole, like, what is, what is that like? You know? And I think Henry was kind of our glimpse into that because not to say that, you know, besides him and Anna, a lot of the other Osage people were complacent. We just didn't see them. We just never really got to hear from them about how they felt or, you know, we got to see terror and panic and grief and, you know, some celebrations, but then also back to terror and panic and like never really get to see like what they were thinking. And he kind of gives us a brief glimpse into like, just kind of fucked up, right? You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I should have to ask you every time I want to do something. You know, what I with mean? my money. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm a grown man. You're you can right. look at you can look at modern day natives and see that. You know, it all like it. It drives me crazy and kind of makes me laugh at the same time because you know sometimes you gotta like laugh to keep from crying or mm -hmm. from like punching someone in the face. Mm. So <laughs> like. Mm. Like it, it, it drives me crazy when people be like, oh, but you know, natives have casinos or, or, but you have reservations. And it's like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. 
reservations are concentration camps. That's what they are. You know what I mean? Casinos, like casino, casinos, which is really sad, is one of the only ways that a lot of these tribes are able to generate any income for the tribe now mm -hmm. because of white imperialism, because of colonization. You know what I mean? So like when people are like, oh, but you get all this free casino money, nothing in America is free. Mm -hmm. Uncle Sam is not letting anybody get anything off without getting a cut, no matter what. So even if you're like a federally recognized nation, for instance, if you're indigenous and you're federally recognized and you have sovereignty, even if you have that and you get a casino, oh, trust and believe they're paying some taxes. Even if it's not, even if it's not on paper, they're, pay yep. they're, they're paying. Uncle Sam is getting a kickback somehow. There, yes. was a, there, was a, there was a reservation a while ago um, and again, they're a sovereign nation. So that means that regular police or no one is supposed to be able to come onto their land and do anything. You know what I mean? You can't right. arrest anybody. You're not, no, you're supposed to abide by the laws of that sovereign nation. They have their own police, whatever, whatever. This, this reservation was selling cigarettes at the time, tax-free. Do you know, and this is on sovereign land, they were arrested by regular police like they were snitched on arrested by regular police and the the police probably state police confiscated all of their tobacco and this was this is a federally recognized tribe that was on sovereign land so there is no you know what i mean there yeah. is you get something you don't get shit for free <laughs> yeah you could live on your own land your own <laughs> sovereign land and still yeah. be under so, the foot you st exactly so it's like no there is no so so that's how you can have money and not have money. Right. I mean, like Oh, don't worry, America will teach you plenty of lessons in that. Yeah. Um, well, I want to before we I want to get into a little bit of the research and I want to get into the reimagining. Um and I think I want to get there by combining two questions into one, which would be um one of the things that struck me, and I guess I can I can get into some of what Devery Jacobs had to say about this movie because posted on I'm still calling it Twitter. It's still Twitter to me. It's still Twitter. Um, um but basically what she said, you know, I have thoughts, I have strong feelings. Uh and this film was painful, grueling, unrelenting, and unnecessarily graphic. And she goes on to say that being native watching this movie was fucking hellfire. Imagine the worst atrocities committed against your ancestors and having to sit through a movie explicitly filled with them, with the only respite being 30 minute long scenes of murderous white guys talking about planning the killings. Um, she says that, the, you know, the performances are strong. And if you look uh, proportionally, each of the Osage characters felt painfully underwritten, while the white men were given way more courtesy and depth. Um I can understand Martin Scorsese's technical direction is compelling and seeing a $200 million movie on screen is a sight to behold. I get the goal of this violence is to add brutal shock value to the forces and people to understand the real horrors that happen in this community. But I don't feel that these very real people were shown honor or dignity in the horrific portrayal of their deaths. Uh, contrarily, I believe that by showing more murdered Native women on screen, it normalizes the violence committed against us and further dehumanizes our people, right? And I think getting into that, you know, it's a it's a twofold question because one, as as a as a black person as an indigenous person, Kaylee, I'm sure you've seen these things play out not only in terms of we talk about it all the time on here, right? There was a time 
if you were a black person, you could go see the Tyler Perry movie. That was it. That was what you got. That was the, you know, every year Tyler Perry movie comes out. That's the movie you can see or you cannot see it, but you're not going to see any other black movies, right? For Native people, I feel like it's 10 times worse because what you get to see is A, a movie written and directed by somebody not Native, mm-hmm. set in the past always, you know what I mean? As if you were a, a relic that existed in the time before modern times uh, and you 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 get to die, right? Like you get to watch yourself get killed because none of these movies are about there's always some weird and this movie has it too even though i think they try to stray away from it some ways but like this like majesty and mystery of indigenous culture where like they do these things that we don't understand like bury pipes and like you know like they must know something that we don't know and like have some mystical you know abilities that we can't tap into they love the earth so much you know what i mean and it's like (laughs) well yeah i guess because they didn't have capitalism before you came around and maybe that has <laughs> something to do with it. But like, there's, there's this, like they, they, they want to at once, like hold up indigenous cultures and, and practices in some way, but then at the same time, keep them in the 1800s, you know, in the early 1900s and not really like let indigenous people exist beyond that time. So like, mm-hmm. again, mm-hmm. for this to be a movie, that's so high profile, $200 million, all of the stuff, but is centered on native grief, native pain, native death, and also again a period piece where you would get to exist in the 1900s. Like, do you feel like this is a movie that, in any way, shape, or form, is going to push things forward in in terms of native representation? Like, do you feel like again when you have a Dance with the Wolves or a Last of the Mohicans or these like big, epic, you know? Dance with the Wolves had a four-hour cut. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. these long movies that, again, are Oscar-nominated and get all this attention, and, like, maybe an Indigenous person wins an award, and, like, you know, people get to pat themselves on the back and say, look what we did. Like, thumbs up. You know, because we really threw you guys a bone. Like, do you feel like this is, like, another one of those where it's just, like, and then three years from now we're still, like, where's the next thing? Yeah, I mean, like, Hollywood and history is so cyclical. You know what mm. I mean? So it's like, yeah, we just had Res Dogs, we had um Rutherford Falls, you know, but Rutherford Falls got canceled and Res Dog just had its finale. Uh and that was only on for what, like three years? Three, three seasons. Yeah. Three, yeah, you know what I mean? Um Larissa Fast Horse uh just had the first, you know, the first known Native American woman playwright on Broadway in 2023 with a play called The Thanksgiving Play. And all the characters are white. And this is a Native American woman playwright. You know what I mean? Like, America has an affinity for culture, but it doesn't truly accept culture. You know, it wants to extract the things that that it likes, that it can, that it can, like, that it can covert and, and, like make the new cool thing, you know, like, oh, I, I bought some incense and some sage and, and I have this crystal and now I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like it, it has an affinity in it and, but it doesn't have, it doesn't, it doesn't have the respect and it doesn't have like the follow through, you know, there's a, I wanted to say earlier, there's a way to be an ally. And unfortunately, 
a lot of white people don't really know how to be a true ally. They have to be taught that, you know, they're never going to know it. They have to be taught that and, but they have to be willing to be taught and they have to be willing to accept the criticism mm-hmm. you know? and to know that, no, you're not, you're, you're not at the finish line. You're you, you, like, you're, you're not even at the start. You're, yeah. you're in like preparation mode. Yeah, you still, you still prepping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're in preparation mode and you should be asking questions and listening more than you're talking. And when you're told something is offensive, even if it's not by those particular people, if it's, if it's, if it's not Osage people, but it's Native Americans in general or black people in general or Asians or, you know, whatever. Right. Or, disabled people like whatever it is whatever this marginalized community is you have to listen to that and you have to you have to heed by that and and if you need to pivot then you need to pivot and i think i think because yeah because they have this affinity with native culture and it's so oh it's so you know mystical and 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 unknown and because and and that's and native people like being a new yorker i i kind of a you know, equate Native people to Hasidic Jews, where they're very secular, you know, and they're, they're not going to, mm. they're not going to just tell you all their secrets and just accept you. You have to show and prove, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That your intentions are good and you know what I mean? And that you're not going to exploit them. And I think, I don't, you know, clearly Martin Scorsese, you know, he got permission from the Osage people, from the elders um and and it's great that he went and did that and went and asked for permission um but there's a you know there's a white men especially still want to be centered yeah still no you know what i mean they still want to be the center of the story they you know they still want to be the one that is propped up no matter what because yeah, Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, you do have all this money. What if you actually did center Molly's story? Because you have the money to do that and it wouldn't yeah. have affected you. You know, the, the movie still could be Oscar worthy, still could have all the, you know, and probably have even more, probably have even more, you know, press and media and, and acclaim around it if it centered Molly's story. Like if we center these stories and then center it in a way where yeah it's not it's not this like exploitive kind of porn on the on the tv of you know native bodies being slain and dying but they also hollywood also has an affinity for cowboys and indian stories you know what yep. i mean like since the beginning of time, exactly since the beginning of time they want to run these cowboys and indian stories and don't really want to because they don't people don't know what an urban native looks like because hollywood has been voice of native america so long and we're just now with res dogs and ruth of the calls excuse me just now getting to tell our own stories Mm -hmm. so we have we are we still have a long way to go we still have a long way to go you know what i mean like we still have so far to go and not you know not just in indigenous stories but specifically those because because so few get to make it to the big screen you know what was the last one pray again yeah. Yeah. <laughs> again set in 
a period piece. You know what I mean? And in that the was, Predator universe. Exactly. And that was what, last year? That was last year? Yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll get one next year around this time. Oh, I think we are, right? Thanksgiving? Or is that I, that horror film that's coming no, out? No, that's, that's yeah. Eli Ross chopping up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he that has it. nothing to do with, no. Yeah. <laughs> but still, you know, just the fact that it's called Thanksgiving and you have this guy dressed as a pilgrim is still, right. you know what I mean? That's oh, yeah. quite offensive. Like, so, and he's chopping up people. I mean, like, that's what they yeah. did. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> actually, what they did at Thanksgiving—that was actually the real third, first Thanksgiving. But you I know, mean, that's the whole subject for another day. So again, we know, yeah. <laughs> right? You know, so, go ahead and make that movie, but we still gonna be like, we we knew. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. There's a white people are gonna make mistakes. Yeah. But they gotta, they gotta, they gotta have thick skin. Yeah. Make your, make your, like, and when you get told, hey, you've made a mistake then apologize and and fix it improve yeah yeah improve and do better well cameron i'll play this for you because we haven't played it in a while but this i know this is one of your favorites and a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense right and so (laughs) and so we're still here and so we're still here i mean i think you're on the right track like if they would have produced this movie and just like elevated other voices, right? It could have been a completely different experience altogether. We wouldn't be talking about the ways that like this movie is like slightly insidious. Even, you know, I'm still a fan of this movie at the end of the day. I still think it's quite good and probably one of the better attempts to like tell these horrifying horrible stories we already know right we already know like the extents to which they're horrible you're still not seeing the full extent to which they're horrible but you are starting to see like i know martin scorsese not speaking on behalf of all white people he 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 can't he couldn't possibly but he is engaging with it and i mean i'm not here to again again uh I'm just, I I don't do devil's advocate on this show, but I do do like some progress is being made, right? Because like somehow he convinced Apple to be like, I want to make a movie about genocide and I want to make a movie about like white genocide, like white people inflicting that genocide Yeah, and somehow got Apple computers to be like, yes, yes, we'll do that. We'll give you some of that money. Well, it's interesting because he, again, the movie was was optioned in 2017 and he was, you know, hard at work on it, had the switch where he switched it from uh, being from the the FBI's perspective to Ernest's perspective. To Ernest's perspective. And then Paramount, who was the, the principal distributor at that point, was kind of like, I don't know if we want to distribute this movie for $200 million because now this is going to kind of expensive and like this doesn't seem like something that's going to make us a lot of money. And so Scorsese was like, well, what if Apple helped out? And they're like, all right, get with that. You know what I mean? But they were still, they were like, they were still hesitant. They're like, yeah, they were like, we like the other script better where it was the FBI and it was more like a cowboy movie. And he was like, he kept having to convince them that, you know, this is, this is going to be something like, just let me, let me me cook. 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 (laughs) I'm 80 years old, y'all. I don't know how many more of these I'm going to make. So like, let me, let me get this out. Like like, if I'm going out, I want to go out. Like it's, it's kind of, you know, honestly, it's kind of cool of him, honestly, to be like, if I'm going to make, this is probably like 
one of his last movies, right? I think we can safely say. Yeah. Well, well it, go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, it's it's interesting because this is one of the hot topics of discussion amongst people in the Native community is like, okay, right. Like, right. I mean, even Glad Lily Gladstone says it uh, at the at the con uh, press conference after the movie was like, yeah, you know, this is other people could make this movie, uh, but Scorsese makes this movie and people listen, right? People pay attention right. because it is him and like him lending his voice to this is something, right? Like one of the greatest living filmmakers to take this movie on and like fight for it to get made and get two hundred million dollars and all that stuff definitely is something and like Scorsese says you know he did not just the research and not just you know had the people come on but like all the costumes are made by you know Osage people and like he had right. Osage people working on the set behind the scenes you know as uh you know like second unit directors and things like that and like you know giving them the opportunity to work on you know 200 million dollar film which is great but again I will say Sure. Could this movie have been financed for $200 million by an Osage director? Probably not. Probably not. But did <laughs> it need to be a $200 million three and a half hour movie is the other question, because that's nah. part of what all of that goes into. And if it's a smaller film, an independent film, or just a mid-sized budget film, again, everything everywhere all at once was like maybe $20 million. Yeah. At that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It takes a lot to rent a train and there was more than one train scene. So. Right. It's, it, it's like the money's on the screen. Like you you really do see it. There's drone shots. There's multiple drone shots, not even used as like regular drone shots. They're just used to like go across cows. Scorsese says that in the beginning, when you see some of that quote unquote archival footage, you know, it's a mix of actual archival footage. And, and stuff a, he shot, right? A, a camera that he had from the from 1917 that somebody gave to him that he used to shoot that footage again to reenact and like look like that. So like again, he's in the I, bag, I, you know, trying he's to. He's got the tools. But yeah. Then it, yeah, exactly. Like it, but that that just gets into the discussion of privilege. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Right. Because he's 80 years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they let him yeah right he's been able to practice he's been able to yeah, you know not even just that but he's had he's been because he's a white male he's also been afforded opportunities that the osage people will never get you know what i mean because they're disenfranchised you know what i mean so he i mean maybe he's also feeling like oh it's my duty because you know like i think it's great that he made the film and so it's like I'm definitely not knocking that but like, you know, just like it was great that Steven Spielberg made friggin' the color purple. You know what I mean? We wouldn't right. have had that. You know what I mean? But, right. but also just like, just along the lines of like allyship and what, and what allyship means. Um, and I, and I definitely appreciate that, you know, he had, that he employed so many Osage people. Cause I think that's what you should do. You know what I mean? You're telling the story then. Yeah. That's like the least you could do. Right. You know what right. I mean? But just, but he's been afforded the ability to make all these movies and to make all this money and to garner his reputation and to get to the platform that he is because he's a cis white male and because he came up at a time where like, you know what I mean? What wasn't nobody else getting no opportunities anyway? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I will say 
we, I mean, we, we talk about this a lot on the show, but, in, you know, allyship, all that stuff. Great. But that next level of allyship is just getting the fuck out the way. Get out the way right? you know and I mean? elevate like, another voice, yeah. elevate a different voice. <laughs> Just, just let it rain on the Osage and let yeah. them tell their own story. Like you could, you could have been a producer on this film. You could have, and maybe assisted with the script. But that's the thing. Like again, Eric Roth, great job. You know, Forrest Gump, you got that Oscar. You know, but like, <laughs> could it have not been an Osage person to co-author yeah. the script with you? Like, could there could, are there other ways that you could have involved them? not just again as great they're extras and you know all this other stuff but like have have one could the could the chief sitting bear not have been a producer on the film like what other ways could you have done it so that there's like not just lasting effects you know in terms of no, that that there is lasting effects so yeah, yeah that you're pushing the forward and there's some kickback for right. the nation as of you know so it's not just oh the movie dropped yeah and we got the money for this one up but yeah so there's some kickback so that they get some you know some future right. money going either, paying it forward in a way right where it's either like yeah. hey I'm, I'm putting on the I've, I've i chose this director to make this movie and so you know this is a credit that they now have and yeah. they have the experience of directing this maybe not 200 million dollars but maybe a hundred million dollar movie or oh. whatever because that's, the, I mean, we hear it time and time again, right? I, the infamous Ridley Scott quote, I want to say about Exodus, Gods and Men, where he was like, yeah. you know, I, I could have casted, you know, an Arab person, but nobody's going to go see a movie starring a guy named Muhammad, right? He crazy. Like, he crazy for that. You know what I mean? But it's like that. But I think that's that is how not necessarily just like a Ridley Scott might think, but like. I think really Scott's thinking how the people who finance the movies. Think. Right. He's thinking like, like the studio. He can't even he can't even go to the studio and be like, well, Muhammad's going to direct and, you know, such and such is going to star in it. And they're like, well, why can't we get like Tom Cruise? Yeah. Like, it's not about Tom Cruise. And it's like, I, but Tom Cruise would be like cooler. Right. You know, yeah. it, it's that conversation. He's having that conversation before he even gets to the studio. Right. Yeah. And it's even I mean, I did a. I did an audition in like the early 2000s um, for a History Channel show. And it was for a Native American character. And the director knew me from Boston mm. and knew I was Native American and told me after the audition, um, he told me two things. He told me, number one, like the people, the people who were really parents, like did, just killed the scene even better. At that time, I wasn't a parent. So I was like, okay, I can get that. And then he was like, and then number two, um, he could not cast me as the role because even though he knew I was Native American, the producers were not were not going to cast me because I didn't look mm -hmm. Native American. Right. You know, the, the kind of Plains Indian Puerto Rican with a feather in their hair that they right. often or a white person that they just, you know, sure. from like back in the day. So it's like, you know, yeah, like that. And that's early 2000s. So this this idea of like representation yeah it's important and it's important that he put them up there but man he could have cut a lot of them scenes with leonardo yeah. dicaprio and and you know and and black whatever his name was that was doing all the stuff oh, for blackie yeah, yeah blackie and you know like all the other like a lot of that could have been cut because it was just i feel like it was kind of just filler in a way it could have been cut and we could have well, just gotten more story well well speak on that and roll into what you would have done to center Molly more and kind of make this more a movie, not just about the Osage people. Cause I mean, you know, it's, it's that 
weird duality of like i mean i guess it's about them because like there's no story without them but it's also not about them because you know the the only osage people that you really get to know are molly and a little bit of her family but you know it's the same problem we have with you know a lot of these other movies where it's just like okay but what are all the other people doing Right? right, because they all live there, and like their family members are getting killed as well. And like, there's a general feeling like we get one scene where there's like a council meeting, and they're all talking about what's to be done. Mm -hmm. And but then in that meeting, they more or less defer to uh, William Hale, William Hale, the white man, you know, he also kind of takes over the meeting, like white people often do, you know, yeah. he makes it know, oh, you know, like, you know, he he just like steps in and takes over and and creates space for himself he just man spreads right in the middle of the meeting right he really does right. <laughs> you know because it's a, like it, it's a moment where they're just like white people always do this and we can't trust them and uh, and here's a white man that uh we do trust and like, let's hear what he has to say <laughs> and he's that he's the one that you ain't supposed to be dreaming but here's, right. here's the yeah here's the good one like he's i'm super killing y'all on the low though right yeah um well yeah how Kayla, how would you go about making this film again, not just from an Osage perspective, but really to, if we're going to tell Molly's story, you know what I mean? And we're going to give her, uh, you know, eight, more agency. Cause again, I I've, I've heard people talk about her arc and all of that stuff, but I will again, remind you that she spends the first hour of the movie, you know, kind of getting built up and we get to know a little bit about her. The second half of the movie grieving mm -hmm. the third half of the movie infirmed you know and like not like really not able to say or do anything you know what i mean like it really becomes earnest smoothie for like that last hour or so and then we kind of get back to her at the end so like she's there but she's kind of not there because sometimes she's just kind of there to be to remind you that like osage people are going through it and like yeah. she's our our representation of that i mean i would definitely excuse me i would I would definitely center the family. I would I would make Molly the protagonist and I would center the family. So, you know, in a in a sense kind of like res dogging it or living singling it, you know what I mean? Where now now we're centered around the family. So we get to know more about the mom. We like we would in in my version, we would um know why Millie is sick or at least, you know, maybe see her progression in the sickness, like how she became sick, you know, may, or actually even before that, seeing, seeing this family, actually, even before that, seeing this family before that first council meeting that opens it where they're burying the pipe. Mm -hmm. What is this family? How is this family being infiltrated by this gentrification colonization of, you know, these white settlers coming over <clears throat> and changing their customs of life? What does that look like? Because that's really how it starts. It's like, what mm -hmm. does that look like? Them them in their everyday lives, their ordinary everyday lives, and now the the inciting incident of these settlers and you know colonizers coming in and taking over. Mm -hmm. and, then, and and then kind of following the story from that perspective so that we get to see the relationship of the sisters so that we get to see the the you know we get to see why Anna's the favorite we get to see why you know what I mean like see right. the mom in in her glory and you know what she was in her strength because 
the mom definitely had strength too. You know, she she had that line where she talked about all oh, y'all marrying off with these white men and you're killing yep. the bloodline. Like she, you she know, literally I mean? talks about it. Yeah. Like, okay. Yes. I'm. Yeah. I'm with mama. What the fuck is y'all doing? Like we're, you know, and I, I'm, I mean, I know they're clearly killing the Indian men and whatnot, but we need some more of them. Like maybe we need to like go to the next town over or something. Like what is we doing? You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> so like here, you know, hearing more of her perspective and like, um, again, like I said, uh, we didn't even, we didn't even find out what that pipe was. Yeah. There was, you know, it was like we had this ceremony, but we didn't even really understand it until afterwards and then you know they they dig the hole and the oil comes shooting up and now they're now they're um <clears throat> praise dancing in the oil um i just would have definitely centered the family i wouldn't have had so much murder death kill on screen i think i think in a way it could have been a little more alfred hitchcock you know mm where where it's um you know we know it's there but we don't necessarily need to see it you know more yeah. thriller like i think um yeah i do like i said i do love the parallels in the history that he brought i thought it was beautifully shot i think all of that is a is great um mm -hmm. i can't even remember the soundtrack so i feel like maybe that could have been <laughs> I don't even know if they had enough like indigenous, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because, well, they oh. had, um, I'm trying to remember who did the score because he's he's it's, done a couple of uh Scorsese scores before Robbie Robertson. It's uh, Robert, Robbie Robertson, he played in the Rolling Stones, yeah, and or he, he played had, sorry, he played in the the band, he was playing with uh Bob Dylan, he's a guitarist, yeah, and he has First Nation ancestry, um, and and did pass, I think, maybe two months before the movie came out, yeah. So. He, as, as the movie was coming out yeah oh, wait 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 robbie robinson the name again yeah yeah oh yes that's right he was the, the one that did the band the wait yeah and he did the voiceover for that other um yeah that's take right. a load all sailor <laughs> take a load for free yeah okay. that one um yeah well, like I said, I can't even really yeah. remember. I also <laughs> I mean, it was an emotional movie too, though. So you know what I mean? Like I did yeah. a lot of learning in that movie. It was very, it was, it was like, you know, a black person going to see um Rosewood. Yeah. You know, mm. like it was like, here, here we go again with like the them these these settlers committing genocide on native people you know yeah. cam do and you have any oh yeah cam, and then you, religion, you know we do the neo-futuristic one and we kill all mm. of the cops at the end that's what they scared of that's what they're terrified of yeah <laughs> i know i know. <laughs> I know that's why they're trying to get us now right like, right <laughs> Um, Cam, do you have uh, any thoughts about remaking it? I, I guess, I mean, my thoughts is sort of in line with Kylie's a little bit. You know, I think what I did enjoy of the movie was, you know, the technical aspects. I did like the score, actually. I, I thought he was doing what he likes to do. You know, he likes to just do like Rolling Stones needle drops. And basically, this was like the equivalent of that. Yeah. Without doing any specific needle drops, like playing 
fucking sticky fingers or whatever the hell. Uh, I will say, I, I I like your idea of like the Hitchcockiness of it, of making it like a murder mystery where like these women would just turn up missing in the community or dead in the community. And even though they like, you know, they're letting these white men marry into the families and things like that. It's still, they don't fully understand, even though they know yeah. there's like that, that duality would be interesting to see on screen. I think of like, actually investigate that it's, it's sticky in this movie, but it's also, we're watching it from the perpetrator's side. So even though they're committing these murders, I'm still like, yo, it's fuck you all day until you like, you know, until you're caught, they drop the jail on your head and we move on, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think that movie would be more interesting where it's, it's an actual mystery and we're playing up the horror elements of it because it's a, it's a genocide happening to your people in the way the, this movie does explore that, but it doesn't feel like it's coming. Like it's a force coming to get you. It feels more like I'm watching the, methodology of these people not oh my god my three sisters died and my mother died is it me next like even though the murder is in the house the calls coming from inside the house you know yeah i think that element would probably and it might make it more genre and campy and that loses like what actually is important about the story um but i i do want to see it from her point of view i don't it makes this a tough movie, honestly. Mm-hmm. It it almost makes it a movie that's like anti what movies. It's almost anti what Scorsese and DiCaprio wanted to do with it, right? They wanted to find the heart of it, but the heart isn't the love story. The heart isn't like their romance. the The heart to me is a people being perpetrated upon. How like my sympathy, my empathy goes to those people, not trying to like see if these this couple is in love i want to see like i i, I want to see these people go away for the crimes that they're committing <laughs> i want to see like you know i do want to see the osage living in this time of like extreme wealth that's something i've never seen on screen that's literally why we make movies right yeah to see something i've never seen and show me a real past that i've never seen you you said this is they were the richest people on the planet at the time. We get uh, five minutes of a three-hour movie showing <laughs> the newsreel footage of that shit. Like it's cute watching them play like you know tennis back in the day, and, you know, in fancy clothes and stuff like that, or driving you know Model A's. That's cute and all, but like ingratiate me in that lifestyle. Let me live in that lifestyle a little bit. Versus like I come into town with this gut shot <laughs> piece of shit guy with bad teeth thinking he's a hot t- hot commodity in the neighborhood like get the fuck out of here yeah I- I honestly that's a little bit of a leo ego play for me i mean for him to think like the only way this movie's gonna work is if i play you know the guy who has this moral crux uh, yeah you know this i, I got I'm, I'm married to this woman but i also want her, her money like the yeah. fuck? That doesn't, that doesn't make you a good character. That doesn't make you an empathetic character. That makes you a fucking scumbag through and through. 
When you know? I was watching the movie, there was these two girls behind me. And it just like, <laughs> it, this is like the thinking of people, right? There was these two girls behind me and they were like, well, I mean, at least he loved her. The and fuck out of here! What? And then one was like, well, I mean, what, like, did he, because, you know, like, he was killing her, but did he really, like, I think he was maybe in denial, but he still kind of, like, there was still love or something. And in my mind, I was like, bitch, what? What? Yeah. What? That's how you get killed by your boyfriend, bro. Exactly. It's like I was thinking, I was thinking, um, I would hate for you, like, like, no, that was a DV relationship. Like, yeah, she gonna show up on TikTok talking. She gonna like, like the New York Police Department like, poster. No. That's gonna be her tomorrow. He was, he was killing her. Right. Oh, that's he that's the like, whole that's the whole crux of that final interaction between them, where she's like, "Look, I had to sit in court and listen to all this shit." You know right. what I mean? And like find out all the horrible things you did. Can you at least to my face one time speak the truth to me? Tell me the truth. And he could not. Right. And so, you know, in that moment, at least from my reading was I, he he was telling himself what he needed to believe in order to accept the things that he did. Right. So he right. didn't actually love her but he was telling himself convincing himself that he did to justify the because he because now he can say to well, justify getting into that community right. yeah it's the same thing that slave owners would tell themselves about why it was okay for them to own slaves because god wanted me to or like whatever else or you yeah. know manifest mm-hmm. destiny like we're, yeah. we're we're giving them a better lifestyle yeah right you know. Even some, you know we introduced them to hospitals to the seventh third like but they were but these people had been living they had a methodology of their own before you well, even came along. Yeah. And yeah. and then and I like how I think it was Henry's character that said, like, yeah, we got this oil and it gave us all these things, but it also gave us like a lot of negative and the death, that's when the death started coming and all that. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing. So I feel like for me, you know, with a with a Osage director or a native director, one of the things that again goes missing and unsaid throughout the movie because we're 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 centering the white gaze right like you can't really deny it because if we're centering either Ernest or William Hale or and even you know again the ending of the movie that very end sequence with the radio play is very telling because it's telling you I made this movie for white people right because this 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 whole thing is only to express look look at how glibly we treat these things right like all of all that whole thing that you just watched can be shrunk down to this probably 20 minute radio play where we just kind of like this is another entertainment of the week thing that we shot and then nobody thinks about it again right and so like right and also this movie exists in the tradition of that this is another version of telling that story down the line right and that's why i'm like i get it in the sense of like i see what you're doing but also like because you know you're you're really you're really playing on a certain naivety that i think a lot of white people have is that well if if they just know then like they'll do they'll do something but it's like but but these people knew at the time right like yeah in 1923 they knew but that's what i think i think that i think that scene does a couple of things right I think number one, as as a person of color watching it, as a native black person watching that, when that came on, I was like, "Ugh, like, are you fucking kidding me?" Yeah. And the and the hat and the horse and the door and the and the typewriter and the you know what I mean? Like, just like I was like, "Are you fucking?" Now it's a minstrel show, but you know what? Maybe it was a minstrel <laughs> show all along. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it 
it was a rad menstrual show all along. And it, and it is, I think, I think on the one hand, yeah, that's exactly what happened in that time period. It was like, oh, now we have radio and now we have, and now we've, oh, we've got the FBI. This is a new shiny thing. Like, and let's tell the story because it's entertainment. Right. You know what I mean? And at that time, those white people were listening to that story while the while the mother was, you know, cooking the meals and father was off, you know, he was doing the work and they had their two point whatever kids and their white picket fence and whatnot. And that was just, you know, and, th- and these were the Stepford wives, I'm sure, who were just, yeah. you know, making it like, oh, that's the radio yeah. show. This is the thing. Yeah. We listened to the radio show. Oh, what an interesting story. Oh, my goodness. And then it's nothing more than that. It's just right. a story because these aren't real people to me. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, I, a lot of people have made a point about it. And I feel like there's a missed point in pointing it out where they're like, well, you know, a lot of people didn't know about Tulsa until they saw it in Watchmen. And like now people know about it. But really what happened was people are like, did you know about like now I yeah, have now that... I can tell you about now I can yeah. say did you know that was a real thing and it's like yeah because I'm black and I these are just things that I have to know like generally you know and 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 they want to come and say oh like can you believe it's like yeah I can because I, I can <laughs> I, I do <laughs> like if you actually paid attention you you would have been believed you would yeah you would have known too and i wouldn't have to tell you Marcus exactly. would probably wouldn't have had to have made a whole movie about it yeah but that's the thing i think there's a lot of people who are like wow like you know once people see this movie like you know they it's 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 so unbelievable that this is a true story but it's like but this is one of many stories that have come so like that's why I I find it not as interesting as what could have been because what could have been not only as you know just having an Osage person to have the opportunity to make again two hundred million dollars they're probably not going to get two hundred million dollars but a considerable budget to make a movie right you know and like you could still have all the principal actors involved and in all of this stuff but in changing the perspective I think what you also get. And this is, you know, I was talking to my parents about this because they've seen all the Scorsese's movies and, you know, like they're big fans. But I'm like, I don't I don't know if Scorsese, he's an emotional director, but I don't know if he is an empathetic director, you know, mm-hmm. in the sense of like he can he can certainly wring the emotion out of something. He can certainly make you feel things. But the the empathy there is with the Osage people and like when you yes you get credit i guess in some senses because this is the same conversation people had with dance with the wolves this is the same conversation people had with pocahontas this is the same conversation people had mm-hmm. with a lot of these movies it's mm-hmm. like it's better than nothing right we don't right. get anything so like you, you almost see you know as black people have to do it too right where it's just like we we feel like we need to protect any kind of representation of ourselves on screen we can't be too critical because then if we're too critical then it's like we're not going to get another one so we have to say complementary things about it and thank the people involved for making it because yeah thank god they made it it, yeah then we would have never seen right but at the same time it's like but but you can yeah like some of those some but some representation and some of those images are just so hurtful that mm-hmm. honestly maybe maybe it's maybe we're better off without it you know what i mean like yeah people people still dress up as pocahontas for halloween yeah like and it's like you're 
number one, you're sexualizing Native Americans because, and it's it's offensive because it's not a costume, you know, no. like, and this was a 12 year old girl. Right. Right. Like, and, and like that, you. That, that Disney movie that you watched. Not exactly. True. Like, <laughs> yeah, she was 12. Not, you know what I mean? Not like a full grown woman. Yeah. yeah. And he was a grown ass man. Yeah. Like, uh, another like, story where she's not in love. You yeah. know what I mean? This I is a romance or a... But, but, you know, another another forced love story, you know? Yeah. You know, that's that's not accurate. And I think that's the thing, like with an Osage director or a native director and the same thing where you see the difference between say something like um, uh, Underground Railroad, right? With Barry Jenkins mm. and just general slave movies where, you know, like he understands when to show the violence and when to not, right? Like when is it necessary for us to see these images and when can we just say, hey, you get it. Right. Yeah, I thought I thought that was actually probably one of the better uses of violence in a story that is a violent story. Yeah, because there's there's certain times where it's like this. This does mean something. This is impactful. Maybe it's not always necessary for us to see. But in seeing it, there is something that you you gain from it instead of because like the thing about this movie is it's very Scorsese. Is masterful in the sense that this movie feels very understated in a lot of ways specifically the violence is just just violence it just happens it's not big dramatic buildup it's not a whole people just dot people just get shot and thrown into ditches and you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. all very casual and you know so he's not necessarily glorifying or like making it a cinematic sequence it's just like this person's dead now right and so it's like okay there is something in that but it's also like repetitive lingering right you know what i mean like we're, we're we understand that these people are being killed but we're also not getting the proper amount of what does this mean for osage people like what does it mean for them not only to live through this mm -hmm. but then to come out on the other side of it but then also like we're at the beginning of the movie is basically like you were saying we have to we have to give up mm -hmm. so much of who we are in order to live this new way of life and even in this new way of life look at how we have to live you know what i mean look mm -hmm. what we have to go through in order to make it to the next day right and so i'm more interested in a henry than i am a blackie i'm more interested in an anna than i am you know some of these other characters i'm more interested in just just generally the 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 day-to-day -day life what you know the what what does it mean to become a completely new people you know in order to because again you go from we didn't have shit because mm -hmm. everything was taken to from us to now we're like wealthy beyond imagination you know and we're still kind of feel like we're in the same place even though it should feel like things have changed we're still kind of they're still killing us you know what i mean they're still right. doing all these things to us and like that's a more interesting story to me than like what about this white guy who was again not it's not as bad as Green Book, right? Because like that guy very he just drove he just drove the car. That's it. You know That's it. It's as simple as that. You know, and it's not to say that Ernest was also a remarkable human being, but like um, you know, he's there's there's something to him and there's something to the way that the story plays out because again, it's a real story. Scorsese will tell you he lifted a lot of this dialogue from 
real life transcripts, like the whole incidents of the guy asking can he kill those kids if it's legal he says that was a whole real you know transcript that he read a lot of the dialogue is stuff that he took from either like court documents or other you know like transcribed things so like a lot of the ways that people are talking about osage people are talking about the events of this are real or at least lifted from you know actual things but that perspective switch is the important part because like white people we, we've seen all of these stories before and even again like the 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 switch from making it about the fbi to making it about Ernest is more palatable in the sense of like yeah fbi rides in saves everybody not that interesting right but there's it's it's like this was the second draft and you needed one more you know what i mean you need mm -hmm. You were you were you were you were getting close. We were getting there. You were warming up <laughs> to make that one last step into saying, okay, but what if we completely removed the white gaze and yeah. just made it? But that I but that's the thing. I don't think Scorsese can do that, and it's not he can't inherently. Not, yeah, he's yeah. just he's just never going to be able to see that perspective. It's not it's not necessarily his fault. He still wants to tell the story. It's just yeah, he a white man, right? Well, it's also like, well, one thing I wanted to just mention real quick um that you you touched upon is like and it was it was one of the first things that I thought about uh when I when the movie started and I was in the theater watching it you know as things got got going and I started to get more of an idea of like oh, okay this is what this movie is about you know I was sitting in the audience um and and as a as someone who's in the entertainment business as like an actress uh as a writer and then as like a black indigenous woman, I was watching this and I just felt like it must have been so hard to be Osage, know this is your history. These were your ancestors and now you're reenacting what happened mm -hmm. to a movie. Like that, that dichotomy right there was just like so much, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's just so much weight. Mm, mm, <laughs> you know what I mean? To mm -hmm. like to be holding and carrying. And so I can only imagine that even when when um she was playing those scenes of just, you know, like, you know, the ancestral like forces that I'm sure were probably like, you know, or just how how it, how she was activated within her body and just like, you know what I mean, her herself and just her heart and stuff and i i would just hope like that they also because there was so much grief and she did play so much grief that there was so also some sort of like mental health or therapy or uh some sort of ritual that all the actors had like that when they were offset for the day like wrapped for the day or whatever and then definitely completely wrapped for the project mm -hmm. that they had something to just you know decompress process that yeah from from all of that because mm -hmm. as an audience member i cried many times watching that film so i can only imagine yeah you know. um well that's our perspective on this movie but let's get into what some other people had to say about killers of the flower moon uh right now we only usually we do three because we we go to amazon but amazon doesn't have this movie yet maybe never will because probably never know, will <laughs> apple plus but um starting with imdb what do you think killers of the flower moon currently has out of 10 
think people are liking it. I think it's getting a fairly positive response. The film bros are kind of fucking with it too, I hear. They're not. I'm sure they're not playing in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll say on IMDb 7.6. I was going to say like 7 also. 7. 8.1. Yeah, they're fucking with it. Might as well be on the top 200 already. Again, I I I say that there's there's two things at play here, and one of them is just people love Martin Scorsese. They, like you said, Cam realized this may be one of the last movies he's ever makes. Yeah, film making wise, again, to make a three and a half hour movie move the way that this movie does is masterful, right? Like, sure. in, in another person's hands, this would have dragged. There would have been a lot of just not even just unnecessary things, but just like meandering or you know like the beginning hour okay there's certain things and i'm kind of like all right you know but like i understand this is setting me up for everything else and then once it kind of kicks in it's like okay you know we're we're locked in but people are again really just more than anything else praising the the acting again i I told cam this this is easily robert de niro's best performance in decades yeah i agree with you too um and so from the performances of you know Lily Gladstone and De Niro and uh, DiCaprio to you know the directing and all the other things, I think that's really what's capturing people's attention. When we go over to better give her an Oscar. I mean, I think a lot of people are at the top of Oscar. You know, everybody's saying give give Lily Gladstone the Oscar. I agree, give her the Oscar. But again, yeah. I hope it's not that's a do. right. That's the thing. Right. I I don't want to see it be a. Here you go. Here's one. You get right. one. You know what I mean? Thanks for playing. Here's your Oscar. Uh, let's move on to the next instead of like, oh, we're recognizing you because you were legitimately the best performance of the yeah. like you you and earned she this. And yeah. she she was. And also like I don't think I've seen a. Uh, I mean, since we're gendering at the Oscars, I haven't seen a better female performance this year. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, generally they keep they keep threatening to eliminate gender from contentions and will happen just make a gen- like you know but even if they did that i think she would be in contention for best performance performance like lead generally. performance yeah. for sure um going over to rotten tomatoes out of 100 percent, what do you think it currently has and i gave you the answer earlier yeah, I think really right? yeah. <laughs> well you said uh 91 percent 93 percent 93 percent 93 percent and i mean again you look at a lot of these reviews uh and you know people are are praising scorsese for you know wrestling with the original sin of america you know talking about how this is not just an epic achievement but like you know forces people to deal with history as it actually happened and deal with you know the the evils of white america i will note it is interesting to listen to Basically, everybody but Lily Gladstone talk about this movie because very rarely do they say white. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they they talk about it in the sense of like, how could people do these things? And like De Niro's like, I don't understand this guy. And, you know, they're they're talking about it in a way that's kind of like you're oh, you're almost there. You yeah. Know what I mean? but you're just, still other, you're still othering the bad people, even though they just, were. Just say no white people. Ancestors. Just you can say, say it. you can say that white people did because they did. You know what I mean? They did. <laughs> you need yeah, you need, right. if you want the message to land the way you're saying it, it's stand yeah. ten toes in that shit. Right. Yeah. 
and and to and to really like solidify and to really like especially just the day and age that we're in right now like we need to label that shit it's yeah. the same problem it's the same problem with like not teaching it in schools it's like yeah. you don't want to make little billy feel bad about his ancestors it's like no little billy your ancestors did do that shit billy senior definitely did that shit right that was your fucking that was your grandmother right there at the fucking so, so billy jr don't do it <laughs> yeah i mean as we like to say on this podcast somebody's grandma spit on ruby bridges and you know they don't want to admit it <laughs> but that might be one of my favorite quotes out of our podcast that's that's the truth and the same thing here you know somebody's if you got osage blood and you're a white person somebody hey somebody out there your it. grandpa <laughs> was a piece of shit think about it yeah um but now that we've got those rankings, we need to rank this movie on our caucasity ranking scale. We've got three levels of caucasity for you, Kaylee. And the first one is shorts in the winter. It is cold now. It's officially. cold now. We are we are in that time of the season, even though it keeps fucking with us because it's about to warm up again. But, uh, you know, I'm one like, of yeah, these days, give us, yeah, give us one last Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be legitimately cold outside. White people, for some reason, still love shorts. Right. You know what I mean? And it's not again, like we say all the time, it's not going to get the mail in shorts. It's not, you know, just walking the dog around the block in shorts. It's living your life in shorts. It's outside snow on the ground. You've got shorts, you've got Birkenstock. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's snow getting in between your toes. Right. Why? And, and you're just like, this is this is me. This is how I live. Right. And for <laughs> us, it's not hurting us, but we have questions. Right. We're, we're curious why you're making this decision. Are you OK? can we get you some pants, you know, like, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's not an offense to us. It's more of a curiosity. Cameron, what's the second level? Uh, second level caucasity is this movie is touching my hair. So now it's not, it's not you fucking up your own knees and your own body temperature It's you touching my hair follicles and trying to figure out if it's three a or four C or whatever. You don't understand. I don't, I don't need to educate you about nothing about my hair. You need to stay, keep your fingers as far away from it. And that's the problem. They want to question, but in questioning, this becomes a violence. This becomes an actual problem for the Black people or POCs involved. And that's like, it, it's not quite like, I'm not going to start a riot. I'm not going to get my friends involved, but it's definitely a problem and you need to acknowledge that it's a problem. And then the third level of caucasity this week <laughs> uh, boy. so look we've uh we we've, we've had a few episodes since the conflict in the middle east has been going on and we yes. kind of tiptoed around it mostly because it would be an entirely that's another podcast in and of itself to to talk about those to talk about it at all yeah we don't want to make light of any of those situations we don't want to talk about any of those situations not at all in a way that is uh you know like glib in a sense but there is one person out there that just won't let it go just won't shut up and that's one amy schumer who if you go on her instagram because this is where she's doing most of her work <laughs> these days or work um if you can it, call it that it is it is wild right because there as for jewish people right there is an understandable because the, you know the motto never again right any mass scale attack on Israel or, you know, Jewish people in general, you know, again, we always have to be cognizant of anti-Semitism. We don't want to open those doors because we've seen what happens, but right. the saying is never again. And there's not an addendum that says just for Jewish people. It's never again. 
period <laughs> period anybody right straight up um but amy schumer not only can't let it go but is doubling tripling quadrupling down it would take me an hour to go through all of the things that she's posted on her instagram basically calling anybody who is in favor of palestine like they love hamas they hate babies they want to kill jews all kinds of wild and crazy things but today she decided to do what they all do at a certain point and that's quote martin luther king jr oh, yeah. she, she put his words in her mouth try to put them out there in a way that was like hey even mlk agrees with me mlk famously anti-war completely <laughs> right it's the first thing you know about the man famously anti-racism right uh but you know she comes out and she does this and then bernice came i feel you know i i i love her but also we're thankful for her we're grateful for her what a burden to be her because everybody wants to quote your father in all and kinds you gotta of be the patrol <laughs> you gotta come up on twitter every other day and just say that's not what he meant. That's not what he said. <laughs> That's not how that goes. Literally have to be the Reddit sub support board for your own father's words in real time, which is, I'm so sorry. And so, you know, for, for Amy, Amy Schumer is, she knows exactly what she's doing, right? That's what the third level is. There's no hiding it. You're not making a, a mistake or you weren't unsure about what your actions, no, you are openly calling for the genocide of the Palestinian people. You're openly calling for anybody who supports Palestine to have basically have violence committed against them right. uh, or to just generally silence them. And I remember in the beginning, she had some quote along the lines of like, you know, when, when, when George Floyd was killed, everybody spoke up when, when something else happened, everybody spoke up, but when Jews were killed, everybody was silent. And it was like, but Black people were talking for what? What? Not, what? not only to this is the mistake that a lot of people made. This is a mistake that Dave Chappelle makes when he talks about trans people as if there aren't black trans people. And this is the mistake that people make when they talk about Jewish people is that there are black Jewish people all the they time. They do exist. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, have, I know two of them at least. <laughs> you know, so when you when you say that, you know, this because what you're basically doing is playing oppression Olympics, right? And nobody wins at the oppression Olympics. Everybody gets bronze. everybody loses. Uh, <laughs> everybody loses. No podium. So, you know, like that. But that's, you know, using her white womanhood to basically engage violence against a whole group of people who are suffering in, in ways that people can't even wrap their minds around, right? And she's one of the worst perpetrators also. Just, we, just we all know this. Yeah, well, she's problematic in many other ways. But. Yeah, she, she queen of the can't shut the fuck up club. Yeah, but of, of those three levels, Kylie, what do you think Killers of the Flower Moon gets? So Killers of the Flower Moon, I feel like it, it does hit all the tropes. It does have a white savior because... <laughs> It does William Hale and then um Sonny Boy gets to act like he did something when he mm. does right. <laughs> yeah, right. After doing many, 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 many fucked up things, right? Um, you know, it has the murdered and missing Indigenous women 
it has um, the centered white boy who is extremely mediocre and has no special skills. No. Um, <laughs> uh, and came back from the army. Uh, so we've got some war in there as well. And then we have like the genocide um, and whatnot. I feel like it definitely, it has all the things, right? <laughs> yeah, it's got a white director. Um, it's got a lot of bleeding heart liberals feeling like, oh, feelings, yeah. large people. But then that's all they do because they don't do anything after that. Mm. Uh, it's got people using MLK quotes. Then <laughs> <laughs> clearly it must be. I, I gotta go with a I gotta go with a schumer. Yeah. He's doing Give a schumer. It hits like the trifecta of like caucasity. So yeah. Cam, what do you think? Fuck. <laughs> I think this is the first time that on this podcast for me that a movie is at the same time it's a schumer <laughs> but i enjoyed it like i enjoyed the movie that i watched you know what i mean cinematically two things can be true at the same time yeah. this is but this is the first time and you, you, your boy is perplexed yeah <laughs> uh yeah i think it i like you said it has all the tropes it kind of came at the story from the wrong point a little bit but also at the right point because like white people need that lesson at the same time and they need to be the ones to teach themselves that lesson not me uh or not native people in this case um yeah and it it leaves you a little in the lurch honestly the movie leaves you a little in the lurch and as much as that's a good thing for you to form your own opinion, this is also a concrete story of good and evil. And sadly, like evil prevails in the real world, but this movie like doesn't do a concrete enough job of being like, and why? Yeah. <laughs> and how they persist. And kind of for that, I feel like it's it's a Schumer. Yeah, I think what what's interesting with a lot of these movies is always like the the mass appeal that they have right and so right. you know when something like this is going to be basically the the darling of oscar season um i think it's it it warrants interrogating it thoroughly because you know these are any historical film or historical retelling automatically becomes the telling right people right. just say oh that's what happens mm -hmm. right like that i'm not i'm never going to read that book I'm never going to do any more research. I'm just going to watch right. this movie. And now I know that I Molly know and were in love. Right. You know, yeah. or, or whatever yeah. it is, you know, and it's like, well, you know, if that because sure. Right. Documentaries, films, we talk about it all the time. If it's going to be a documentary, make it a documentary. If it's going to be a film, we're going to expect some fudging of the facts, some, you know, right. merging of people in order to even though it's three and a half hours, you know, like to condense timelines and things like that. Yeah. So there's there's room for, you know, fudging things a little bit. But at the same time, I think you have a duty, specifically if you are Martin Scorsese, right? Specifically, if you if you are 
being given this money and this ta- power, this opportunity to tell the story, I think it's certainly sh- fine if you want to make this movie in particular, but you could do more, right? You right. could certainly do more. You certainly had the opportunity to do more. I'm glad that you made this movie instead of the FBI cowboy movie because that would have been worse. <laughs> yeah, <our> setting. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but at the same time, like I think one of the things we didn't necessarily mention about white allyship is that there is certain expectation of, of thank you, right? Like, thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you specifically, (laughs) (laughs) because I guess you didn't have to, and you did and that. And and now that you, you get praise or something like that, when the true definition of allyship is just, you, you did it because that's what you do. Right. There's no expectation of reward. There's no expectation of a thank you. There's no sometimes you do things and people say, fuck you. And it's like, ooh, okay, maybe don't do that again. Like that's <laughs> I made a mistake. You know, I, I'll learn from that and do something differently next time. But like the idea that it's like, oh, you know, we gotta give it up because, you know, he he could have made another movie about a gangster or you he know, whatever, you know? whatever else. So he certainly could have, but like yeah. doing the thing isn't always enough like glad you did the thing but you could have done another thing or you could have done nothing and let somebody else do a thing while you co-signed the thing and like you know there's all kinds of ways around it and because i i think where it runs up against it is because there's a, a dire lack of native voices behind the screen um you know on screen uh, you know, having an opportunity to write these things and produce these things and what often gets written, produced and what native people often have the opportunity to audition for is the person who gets murdered or raped or uh, has to deal with the people who broke the treaty or like whatever else. So it's rarely that you just get to be the love interest or uh, the friend at work or, you know, the 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 couple that's trying to raise their kids in the suburbs or, you know, you have to be historical in the past and dead mostly <laughs> to in these films it's kind of like if there was a, if there was a complete inversion of that where it's just like oh we're just getting all kinds of native representation all kinds of things so this is just one of a, f- a few movies that deal with this and it's like that makes it more palatable but when it's like this is what you get to watch you yeah. know as a native person this, this is, is what choice. you get to come and see and so like on the one hand you're like i'm glad i got to see it on the other hand i wish i didn't have to die graphically multiple times on screen and that's what it takes for white people to say "Ooh, maybe that wasn't good maybe we should have not done that and it's like we well we knew that as it was happening and we tried to tell you about it as it was happening and you said shrug well we'll make a radio play about it i guess you know that's how we'll get the word out and I think it's also important for white people to understand that allyship also means that you're an ally, even to those that you don't feel are palatable. Yeah. You know, what I mean? even to the ones that are, matter of fact, even more so to the ones that you don't feel are palatable or are right. like, you know what I mean? That you need to be even more of a friend, even more, mm-hmm. even more of a listener to those voices because those voices are definitely the ones that are going to like, you know, tell you, tell you the real of like what it is, you know what I mean? But also you're going to have to earn it. And so therefore it's definitely going to be, you know what I mean? Like you, yeah, it's, it's going to be the real. For sure. Uh, well, speaking of the real, Kaylee, thank you so much for joining us. I truly appreciate this conversation. I think uh, 
you know, we we want you to come back and talk about a movie that's not as depressing. Yeah, because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always just like uh, again, so sad. it's 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 this you know vicious cycle of like not only is there not enough native representation. But when there is native representation, then people are like, hey, why don't you come up and talk about this movie that's like, you know, viscerally affecting and like you have to explain why it is so painful to watch. And it's like, but I'd also like to just talk about like a fun movie. (laughs) 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 But as we as we get out of here, could you please recommend to us, you know, particularly work that you've done, uh, but also like any work by native indigenous filmmakers, playwrights, et cetera, that you think people should check out to give them a fuller perspective of what indigenous native art can be? Um, so I have uh, I have a children's story on the podcast, Little, Little Stories Everywhere. Um, and it's a Native American, I did it last year. I wrote it for, cause right now we're, we're fun fact, we're, today is November 1st. So we are officially in Native American Heritage Month. And yeah. Last year for Native American Heritage Month, I was asked to write a podcast, write a story, a children's story for a podcast. So it's on Amazon. It's called Little Stories Everywhere is the name of the the podcast. Um, and my my story is um the secret life of rock stars. So it's a really cute children's story. Um, definitely check that out. It's so fun. Um. Let's see other other native works that it's so hard like off the top of my head. Um, if you are local to New York, definitely make sure you follow the Native Arts Indigenous Center of New York. Um, they do a lot of work. I actually did a reading of my play Indian Country, which is based on um, my childhood growing up as a Black Indigenous person in Mashpee. Um, I did a reading of that with them last year, the green space. And so they do a lot of awesome projects. They're always doing stuff. Um, check them out. And and they they also do stuff like regionally too, not just, um, and internationally, not just here in New York. So they're a great person to like follow on social media. Uh, Eagle Theater here in New York does a lot of great work. So follow them. Uh, I missed, I mentioned earlier, Larissa Fast Horse, uh, who is a indigenous playwright. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie Easley is an indigenous playwright. Um, there's, there's so many. Uh, Mualeen Peters, uh, male uh, black indigenous playwright out of Mashpee um, and I would just say like fuck mascots so make sure that you know you're not rocking with the mascots <laughs> do not wear that Indian shit <laughs> never never stop it no sports teams you gotta let that shit go yeah. so make sure that make sure that you're being a good ally also like even people of color because you know sometimes we you know what I mean like sometimes mm-hmm. we also need to have teachable moments also so you know I 100% need- I need my black allies to stop wearing them damn mascots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and other than that, oh, you can support this Native American woman. Uh, I'll be in Boston doing a new play, to, uh, workshopping a new play that has a, and I'll be playing an indigenous character, Wampanoag um, woman. Uh, and so I'll be in Boston from November 29th to December 5th. So Kylie Turner in Boston, you know, you can you can follow me and check me out. Woo! Uh, Cam, what about you? Um, oh, uh, uh, so I don't have anything uh, native to promote. But if you've if you've been a long time listener to this podcast, you notice that I've been saying like I can't say nothing about nothing for like 
months at this point. <laughs> and your boy can finally say something. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay. So, yes, the thing that I was working on, I was writing on a television show. Or not a television show, but a, uh, a web series. Uh, this web series is for Key TV. This is for Kiki Palmer's little network that she has on YouTube. Uh, I wrote an episode of this new show. The trailer is going to drop. So I guess this is probably going to come out in about a week and a half. Uh, on the 6th, the trailer will have dropped for the psychological evolution of fuckboys. Uh, I wrote an episode. I think it's like episode two or three, but go check it out. It's really fun. It's uh, kind of like a little sitcom about mental health in the black community, in the black male community. And we kind of talk about fuck boys going from fuck boys to actual adult men. That's that's <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what we're talking about. So check that out. The trailer drops on the sixth and the first episode is on the ninth. Uh yeah, and talk to your boy. We'll 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 chat it out. But excited excited to talk about I actually have a thing that I did and it drops. <laughs> nice. Um I would say a movie that I I wanted to watch. I've been been able to watch sit down and watch it yet but i've heard a lot about and i feel like it's one of those movies that people kind of maybe know about but similar to me haven't seen this smoke signals from 1998 yes uh, which is a drama comedy uh about you know a group of indigenous people who basically take a road trip across the country they go to you know help retrieve the ashes of uh of a friend but it really gives you like if you if you like reservation dogs right which i think again is like it almost feels like a like an anomaly right, right? because it is a, a story written by native people starring native people you know from a real indigenous perspective and like it's funny it's takes place in the present yeah um, you know what i mean and you and you really get to know these characters and they you know get to i think that's the thing right like the thing about Killers of the Flower Moon is, is written from a familiar perspective, which is the white perspective. And so you right. watch it. The other perspective. Right. You watch it and you're like, okay, this is a story that's, fam like you were saying, Cameron, like this is familiar. Like I know this. Watching yeah. Reservation Dogs, I'm like, certain things just aren't explained. And I'm not expecting them to be explained to me. You know what I mean? Or I'll see Native people point stuff out and be like, I can't believe they did that. And it's like, I didn't even catch that because I that's not something that I'm looking for. But like, right. now that I've noticed it or seen it, like I'm getting a deeper cultural appreciation and understanding of certain things. And so like there's a there's a moment in Killers of the Flower Moon where there's a storm going by and Molly is like, we have to be quiet. And like Ernest can't be quiet and she's just she's not even like annoyed with him she's just like i know that white people are like just shh, you know just take it down we're just gonna sit and listen to the storm right um and that's i found that to i found that to be more culturally like interesting than even some of the other things where it's just kind of like because in so many movies like you get the wedding or you get the funeral or you get the you know and it's just like look how mm -hmm. different it is look how they do it as opposed to how we do it but like little things like that where it's just like oh no we listened to the storm yeah and then mm -hmm. it, and then so, it goes away you know like the funeral scene it's interesting because the funeral scene when they when they buried i think it was anna and they had her in the coffin that was standing up and it had yeah, like, yeah. 
and you could see her. Yeah, I was like, oh, I wonder if they actually did funerals like that, or maybe that's how that tribe did funerals after you know colonization or whatever. Because I so like again, Eastern Woodland Tribe. When my grandfather passed, and we gave him and we gave him a native burial, it wasn't like that at all. It was there was no coffin. There was you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, different. You know, so seeing that, I was like, oh, you know, because in my, you know, you just assume, oh, they, I'm sure they do the similar to what we do. And I, and so it was like, I wonder if that is real or if that is real mm. for the time period, because right, I'm, sure, right. I'm sure they were doing something different prior to coffins. Right, right. And stuff like that. Again, I feel like, you know, there's things that are said, things that are left unsaid, but you know even in that like giving a bit more depth of like we were saying before like they make mention of we have to change you know right. because we don't have a choice and like change from what you know like what was before and like what is now and kind of giving more depth and perspective to that so um yeah i'd recommend people watch spoke signals just like you know if you just want to see a movie where you're watching native people just in what was the present in 1998 uh just live like anybody else lives you know it's 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 cultural in the sense that you know it's speaking to um you know their experience but it's also a movie that doesn't there's no otherness because they aren't the other they are themselves and so right. watching them do what they do um yeah i guess i'll, I'll plug myself to jr sosa 18 on twitter and instagram <laughs> Uh, comic stuff I can't talk about yet, unlike Cameron. Congratulations again, Cameron. Very uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Snaps, snaps all around. Um, yeah, if you want to check us out on Twitter and hopefully Instagram soon, TikTok maybe yes. soon. Yes, at white underscore pod, or you can reach out to us at white people and save you pod at gmail.com. Uh, but thanks everybody for listening. If you again, if you've seen the movie, we'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Let us know, write to us, uh, tell us what you thought as well. Uh, and we'll be back in two weeks with more caucasity. Peace. Peace. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.